0: Welcome to the Create Sessions. I'm Meredith Whiteley from Food at Heart and I run events that give people the chance to take time out and pause to really taste and pay attention to flavours and discover interesting combinations that make food taste delicious and your body feel great. create sessions are a series of interviews with people that I think are doing really interesting and creative things in food and today's session is an interview with Natasha Marks from AVM curiosities. She blends food and art and a whole sensory experience with taste and flavour and I'm sure you'll find her just as interesting as I did. Today I'm sitting outside in bright sunny London which I don't get to say very often with the wonderful Natasha Marks and we're going to be talking all about what she does because I think it's really curious which is even in her name and I think curious in a good way. So first of all actually if I can just get you to introduce yourself Natasha and tell me a little bit about what it is that you do.
1: Um, so I'm in a company called AVM Curiosities um, and it's a company or practice really that uh, fuses food art and history. Uh, through events and tasting menus and performances and all sorts of different things, mainly with museums and galleries. Great, and what does the AVM stand for? So the AVM stands for Animal Vegetable Mineral. And yeah, where did that come from? So um, when I first was thinking about starting something with um, food and art, I was interested in sort of early cabinets of curiosity, the idea of the museum as a more sensory space, as a sort of universe in a box and I thought, well, animal, vegetable, mineral can be anything. That whole sort of process of classification, but also mixing things up, having the juxtaposition of things, and this whole sort of, you know, cabinets of curiosities, you'd be led around, um, it'd be taken on a tour, the people would really show off their collections, and they had a, an identity all of its own. So that was something I wanted to bring into the gallery space, but through food.
0: Great. So tell me about how you got into food, and I guess the beginnings of your love and food, and you've also taken us a sort of slightly unusual route with it so you're not kind of a chef or a food writer you're doing yeah. something I think is very cool um, mm-hmm. so yeah I'd love to know how you got to the place where you are now
1: yeah well it's sort of you know following your feet a little bit it was mm-hmm. real real luck I did an art history degree at Sussex University ah. um and Sussex is partnered with the VNA. so Every year the final year courses are taught by V&A curators depending on who is free. Um, and I had messed up my first year of university so I would had to restart again. Um, but if I had done it the first time I would have been doing Chinese ceramics in my final year. But because I messed up that first year I ended up doing food history and uh, taught by the silver curator at the V&A. So it just changed everything I was into. I ended up writing my dissertation about jelly and um, going to work for Bumpus and Pa after after university and just getting into this whole world that I had never thought had existed.
0: Tell me some interesting facts about jelly.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, jelly, I mean, my essay was called From the High Table to the High Chair. So it was the cultural demise of jelly and the sort of jelly renaissance that we're going through right now. Um, But, you know, jelly, uh, you know, if you go back to the 16th century, a jelly used to cost the same amount as a portrait. So it was a real status symbol. Um, So you were really showing off through desserts, you know, not just jellies, but sugar sculptures or anything creating around sugar, that whole state. The idea you could show your power through ice cream, I think, is really exciting. Wow.
0: (laughs) So how did you go from jelly to developing the business that you have now?
1: Um, I was really, ex- think it's important to let things grow sort of organically. So I'd known I wanted to do something that fused that food art and history. Um, and I had been working in children's publishing for a little bit and not really enjoying it and just feeling like I wanted to do my own thing. So... I ended up working for a fine art sculptor and on the side doing my own thing and I just sort of let things evolve naturally. So working with companies that I liked or places that I wanted to be with and because it's slightly unusual and curious like you said, it's it's a word of mouth sort of thing as it spreads. So it didn't really have I knew it had where I wanted it to be around but I didn't really have a sort of solid idea of what I wanted it to be Mm -hmm. so it took about a year for it to sort of take shape um, and in that time sort of experimenting with smells and tastes and ideas and researching a lot so my practice is super research-led so Mm -hmm. lots of books lots of reading lots of ideas I always have a notebook with me to jot down things and always think of new things and meet new people and
0: yeah so Tell me which this is probably a slightly strange question. Yeah. What what smells do you find the most interesting?
1: Um my partner always jokes that the smell the, te- the smell of history is rose water and caraway because <laughs> I seem to use it in absolutely everything. Um but um, I think if you go back in time a bit, I think it's the fact there was not so much of a definition between sweet and savoury, mm-hmm. so I think that's always quite interesting. Mm. And we also have moved away from our sort of, you know, in England at least, you know, floral scents, those sort of like perfume smells mm. have sort of, they're, they're coming back now, but they died out in flavour of much more bold smells and you see it happening in food trends so you see the sort, of, the sort of perfume smells of the past were replaced by quite heavy, quite sweet, quite bold flavours um, and our entire diet has got sweeter in that time and so you see the sort of, and you know, sweet is safe whereas bitter can be dangerous so we've sort of forgotten that with food and we, we play, play it safe and I think now we're mixing up a lot more so the smells are more bitter now, they're more floral they're, you know, you can, you can, there's a interesting profiles as you go through time
0: Interesting. So what were your some of your first projects that really brought some of these things together and brought them to life? I think... Um
1: I was very lucky, so I applied for the Young British Foodie when I'd only been going for about two months, ah. and it was because I was working at Lily Vanilli's Bakery, and she told me about it
0: as right. being one of the founders. And actually, could you explain what it is because I think some people might not. Ah, know what so that is it is. so the Young
1: British Foodie is an award where there's different categories. There's like a meat category, there's a food writer category. I was nominated for the experiential category, or well, that's ah. the one that I applied for rather. Um, and it was at first first year of the of the awards, which celebrates sort of young. It doesn't. You don't have to be like age young you just have to be sort of like young at heart or you know like playing around like doing something that's a bit on the edge um and so it was the first year of that and I applied and they wanted to get lots of press about it because it was a new award and so I got features in the Evening Standard and all these things and so I was sort of rocketed into this world that I wasn't really I'd only done maybe two events I did I did a sort of um a miracle berry tasting menu at, at this urban physic garden and i'd done a couple of talks and and that's about it but then after that um i was supported by grey goose vodka and they wow. um funded a series of events i did at the VA. <laughs> and that first event this was 2013 by now um was called food and art through the ages and it was a real story of the history of food and art and how they crossed over with each other and that for me was a real sort of seminal thing of like you know especially in the v a in a building that was so important where I had learnt really my food history um, and the audience from that was fantastic and I'd made different four different edible elements to go with the lecture so I was doing that whole idea of edible additions and I was doing the food history and doing the whole performative aspect of the storytelling through food so that was a really important one for me
0: Interesting. Yeah. So what are, I guess, some of the projects that you're most proud of because you've obviously been going now since the very early days and very (laughs) early start. (laughs) Yes. What are some of the projects that you're most proud of?
1: Um... I really liked um, The Poetry of Toast, which was something I did at the Barbican, uh, which was uh, for the Doug Aitken show called Station to Station, where he had lots of different artists come in and do various different things. So I was on a day with Jeremy Deller and Oliver Ellison and these very big artist names and I wanted to do something, they asked me to do something about grains and I chose toast and so I sort of took the ritual of making toast and really elongated it into a performance so you turned up at this on the stage and people were invited to come on stage and they were united with a sort of Victorian toasting amulet they then went through the sort of toast library which had like quotes about toast through in literature then they had this gigantic stack of bread and they then had these you know, toasters all lined up and got the paperwork for getting toasters in the gallery it was unbelievable but they let us have it and then there was a big mound of butter and then there was like 1940s um, art deco toasters which are beautiful they're like sculptures and then at the end I had laser cut some of the quotes from the toast library and onto um, plastic mm-hmm. and so then people put that over their toast and stenciled it with cinnamon or with or with cocoa Amazing. and so people were walking around and the, and the gallery gave us permission to eat in the gallery so wow. you, you have all these hundreds of people walking around eating toast while looking at Jeremy Della's artwork or listening to a band or like looking at some ceramics and that idea of making the alien space of the gallery homely was one of the best things about it.
0: That's very cool. So that was, that
1: was a favourite. And then also I did some edible bubbles at the V&A for um, Alexander McQueen's uh, Late. Wow. Because the, the lead quote in the catalogue for the McQueen show was the fashion world's like a bubble that I just want to burst. And I thought, that's a good, that's a good one. So nice. I had this sort of black murky liquid, so I dyed it black. And then as I went through the bubble machine, it turned into these clear bubbles that then people could eat out of the air. Wow. So I thought McQueen would like that sort of grotesque and beautiful alongside each other. And people, it was like a feeding frenzy. And there was a soundtrack as well that matched with it. So it sort of hyped people up from this very lovely sort of bubbly motion to this almost like rave in the V&A courtyard. Oh, and people, amazing. you know, we had some, someone lick someone in the eye they didn't know. <laughs> it was like everyone just running around with their tongues out trying to like catch these bubbles. It was brilliant. What, really, really what were
0: they all the same flavour? They were or? all cherry
1: and rose flavour.
0: Delicious.
1: And um, yeah, it was very fun. And that was also my first sort of venture into cross-modalism is the idea of using more -hmm. than one sense so not just taste but really using the soundtrack as part of it as well
0: like you must have read the questions i was actually (laughs) going to ask you because i know you've done some work with the cross modalists, which um for anyone again that's not aware of them it's a group of people with a lot of research behind it which how all the different senses work together when we're eating food and tasting and i write about some elements of it my site on my site not to the same extent but i'd love to know again maybe some of the learnings that you've taken from that maybe even some of the interesting work that you've done with the cross-modal
1: yeah group team yeah Yeah. i mean i'm quite a newbie to it so um i discovered it um through a friend actually i saw it was professor charles spence who is the sort of brains behind the cross-modal research lab at oxford university he gave a talk at the VA and then i met some of the cross-modalists at the talk and then they invited me to the first sort of one of their lectures they were doing and i just thought these are my people you know (laughs) (laughs) and um just everything they were saying it had so much crossover with what i was doing but from a scientific and new sort of Psychology, almost perspective, whereas I had come from the to the same conclusion, but through a historical food history perspective. Mm-hmm. So that was really interesting, um, and I think cross-modalism for me it's about the playing with the crossover between the senses those crossovers already exist but really exploring them and finding out how they influence each other um, so I've been doing that without meaning to for quite a while and then actually putting a name to it was like oh this is great mm-hmm. so I gave my first talk as part at the cross um at the Wallace collection when they did a little symposium there And that was a perfect place to do it, to talk about food and the gallery. And we did a little cross-modal tour of the gallery as well. So we had a musician, had one room, and I had another room where I'd made a little taste. And it was fantastic to work with other people and that sort of thing as well. So it's a great group to be part of, and I've met lots of very interesting people through it, from all different disciplines. And I think that's what's most exciting about the cross-modalists.
0: So what have you got coming up in the next 6 to 12 months?
1: So, um, I've got an exhibition opening at the Soane Museum, Sir John Soane's Museum, um, which is in Holborn, and they've newly opened the kitchens for the first time in 200 years. Wow. Um, and I've made three scent chambers that match some of the smells that would have been around in the kitchen, um, and that's open until from 13th of September until March 2017, wow. so for plenty quite a while. Plenty of
0: time, plenty of time to get down and see it then. Yes,
1: and it's free, <laughs> and it's an amazing museum, it's brilliant. Um, I'm also... Um doing a talk at the William Morris Gallery on the 5th of September, so that's quite soon. Um, yeah. I'm also doing a project at the V&A, which I don't think I can talk about yet, but oh. it's going to launch on the 25th of September, um, <laughs> so keep an eye out. <laughs> right. um, and then past that, I'm doing a, a supper club at Yinka Sonobari Studio on the 2nd of December, right. which is going to be inspired by the artist Carl Walker. So, I'll be looking a lot about the more dark history of sugar because she did a piece called "A Subtlety" at the Dominico Sugar Factory in New York, which was incredible. That I'll be sort of responding to.
0: And that's very well timed, I think, with the whole hype around sugar and yes. the coverage yeah, in the yeah. press over the last well, two years, I guess no, it has yeah. been as now. Yeah. Will you be addressing any of that at all? A little all bit. Or?
1: I mean, yeah. also part of, you know, sugar is not in itself evil, mm-hmm. um, but our access to it is excessive. So mm. we, it permeates a lot of foods, and we can, you know, we take it for granted, we can go to the corner shop and buy a chocolate bar or you know, a bag of sweets for a really cheap amount of money. And if mm-hmm. you go through history, obviously, those things would be only for royalty and the, and the gentry. And so, actually, it's not about... Um, sugar itself mm-hmm. I think it's just about our access to it and actually savouring it and enjoying it and treasuring it even though it's cheap it doesn't mean it's not really cheap in that sense yeah. you know
0: and I should uh, say for full disclosure we were having a discussion about sweet tooths and chocolate before yes. we started recording because yeah, yeah. both of us are big chocolate fans yes, but yeah I think that's, it's a really pertinent point and I think people can demonise the whole ingredient but actually there's so much more complexity and I think I like yeah, your yeah. point around just really savouring it even if it's yeah. cheap it doesn't mean we shouldn't value it yeah which actually, exactly. as someone that's working with food all the time, yeah. I mean, what do you eat at home? What do you actually cook at home when you're preparing yeah. your own food?
1: I, I love cooking at home. I often spend like hours cooking dinner and then... Um but I've recently gone vegetarian, which is quite a new ah. change, since February. So about six months in now. Yeah. And How's that's that been going? good. Good. I really, I only meant to do it for maybe 30 days to, because mm. sometimes I just give stuff up to mix mix up what you're <laughs> cooking. So you get stuck on sort of the same cooking patterns. And so I thought oh, I'll give up meat for 30 days, make some, you know, add some new dishes to my repertoire. Yeah and I actually really enjoyed it I felt better for it and my food bills went down and I thought Fantastic. actually I'm going to carry this on and I'm still I'm not like a militant vegetarian <laughs> so I'm still like using gelatin to make sweets and all that sort of stuff but yeah. I'm definitely not cooking meat at home anymore um, so I cook a lot of Moroccan-y sort of stuff a lot mm. of um, Italian a lot of roasted vegetables and things like that yeah. yeah. do you find
0: that you're ever using some of the stuff that you're studying it kind of finds its way into your kitchen when you're cooking? Um, I
1: oddly no I think there's, cause, ah. because I mainly do sweet stuff I yeah. think there's quite quite a nice definition between <laughs> sort of home cooking and work cooking. Yeah. Uh, I, d- I definitely don't cook sweet stuff for, for fun as much as I should because uh, I tend to just make it for work and then and then you become saturated when you're bu- when you're buying chocolate by the you know the kilo it stops having the, a little bit of a sort of like when you when you're at home watching a movie on the couch you're like oh do we have any chocolates like well there's a gigantic bag <laughs> over there but I don't, it's not quite doing it for me <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah
0: fantastic well we're coming to the end of 15 minutes because i like to keep these really short so yep. if people want to find out information about you where should they go to find it so, best place
1: is the website, which is www.avmcuriosities.com. Uh, there's also Twitter, avmcuriosities, Curiosities, uh, Instagram, avmcuriosities, Curiosities also, um, and Facebook.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And I definitely recommend everyone getting down and seeing some of the shows. I actually met Natasha when she was uh, had a whole table full of aphrodisiacs, which included potatoes, interestingly. So, I thought it was fantastic. I'm going to be heading down to the museum over the next few months once it's open. So, get down there, but otherwise have a look at Natasha's website. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to today's Create Sessions. If you'd like to find out more about Food at Heart, go to foodatheart.co.uk. And as Natasha mentioned, if you'd like to find out more about AVM Curiosities, go to www.avmcuriosities.com.